to go to uh, this verse first. And, uh, and so if you, uh, if you need a moment to find it in your, in your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse number 1. And I'll get to that in a moment, but you can get there and get ready. We're not ready for the verse yet. I'm sure most of you can, can say it. But I want to tell you just a quick little story. There was a doctor, a lawyer, and an architect. They were arguing over who had the oldest profession. The doctor said, well, the very first operation was performed on Adam. So the medical profession is the oldest. And the architect responded, he said, no, sir, no, sir, I represent the oldest profession. Architectural planning and design was needed to create the earth and the universe out of chaos. To which the lawyer responded, well, where do you think chaos came from? Some of y'all get that later when you're, when you're stuffing your face with them deviled eggs. In the beginning, God created. That's my text for today. I ain't even going to finish the whole text. Some of y'all are saying, Pastor, just don't even finish the whole sermon. No, we're going to preach to you today. In the beginning, God created. Well, let me give you another verse. Isaiah chapter 46. God told Isaiah, he said, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done. He said, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. God said, I will declare your end from the beginning. From long ago, what is not even done yet, I will declare it. He said, my plan will take place in your life. I will do my will. Now, when you look at architectural plans, when you look at building plans, as you would see these as they're a professional design, you'll see that the cover page has a print of a picture on it of the finished product. When the Bible says that he declared the end from the beginning, the very first thing that God pictured in his mind was a throne, a body on it, his spirit in it, and ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands and thousands around the throne saying, glory, hallelujah, worthy is the Lamb. That was the first thing that God pictured, and it is what you and I are a part of. And just like the architect builds, God went into the building site, and he began to plan. The reason is the universe is because he needed the site where he could make this ultimate design come true. The reason he made Adam and Eve is because he had to give that body, he had to create a body who would eventually sit on a throne. The reason he made Adam and Eve is so that he could have a crowd that would be around the throne. And this explains when the scripture says in Colossians, all things were made by him and for him and through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Without God, nothing has been made. All things were made through him and by him and for him. The first thing God saw was the end from the beginning. And everything else was a byproduct of that. It was God's plan before the foundation of the world that he would come in flesh, but God had to create all the vehicles to get him there. So he made Adam in his own image. 
And leaning down into Adam, he breathed into him the breath of life. But he also put something else into Adam. He put glory in Adam. The Bible tells us that he put the essence of himself into Adam. And when God created Adam and Eve, he made them in the garden. He made them in his own image. He made them out of the dust of the earth. And God breathed into Adam the breath of life and made Adam a living soul. And when he breathed into Adam, he breathed more than just air. In fact, when he breathed into Adam, Adam was just a pile of dust. God put 95% water and made him flesh and blood, but then he breathed life into him. God made Adam in the likeness of God. He created him in the likeness of God. And the reason the Bible says he made him in his likeness is because the Bible declares the end from the beginning. All of God was in Adam. And there was something that was in Adam that is not in any other man who is in this room or on this earth. What was in Adam was not in any other man ever since then. The Bible tells us that this was the feminine side of God. When God took the rib out of Adam, he took grace and mercy. He took it out of Adam and he made his wife. God took the feminine part out of Adam and made a wife. Grace and mercy is the feminine side of God. And the reason that no man is complete without a wife is because it takes a wife to complete the masculinity as well as care that only a mother can give. And so when the soldier walked up and he pierced the side of Jesus Christ and blood and water came out of his side, that's the day that God took the church out of the side of Jesus Christ. And that's why in the church is found grace and mercy. Are you following me this morning? If you have questions, good. Come back for more answers. When the soldier pierced his side and blood and water came out of Jesus, he was birthing the church. So God took out of Adam and he made Eve. And the Bible says that he gave them instructions. He put them into the most beautiful garden that you could ever imagine. And he says, you have one instruction. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge. That's it. You can enjoy the garden. You can play in the garden. You can see all the animals, ride the animals, have fun and, and have a good time. Just don't eat of the tree of knowledge. And then Lucifer, of course, came along and did what he is best at. And he lied. He lied to Eve and he lied to Adam. And when he lied to them, he changed the whole concept of what God was wanting to create. So, of course, we know Eve ate of the tree and gave to Adam, and he did as well. And when they ate of the tree, all of a sudden they found themselves naked. All of God's creation that had made up to this time was clothed from the inside out. The Bible tells us that the bear, the horse, the deer, even the fish were clothed from the inside out. And what happened is, and you don't see this until you get to Jesus uh, on Mount Tabor with Moses and Elijah... When you, when you meet them on Mount Tabor, later on in the New Testament, you see that Jesus Christ is with Moses and Elijah and they are clothed in glimmering white clothes from their shoulders down to the ground. Why was that? It was because the glory of God was boiling out of them. They were clothed from the inside out. 
And so Adam and Eve, they had the clothing from the inside out in the Garden of Eden until they sinned. Then they noticed they were naked and they were afraid. And when they did, this is something about sin. It doesn't mix with God. God and sin do not mix. You cannot have fellowship, light and darkness. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. And so they looked at themselves when they noticed that they were that their that their garments had dissipated and they were gone and they stood there. They looked at themselves, they ran and they hid and when God came into the garden, he did as most of us do as parents when we already know the answer. He said, "Hey, where are you, Adam?" God already knew what had happened. He already knew the milk had been spilled. He already knew that the cookie done been ate out of the jar. The window done been broken. But he still came and he said, where are you, Adam? And I want to tell you that we don't always get it right. But it doesn't matter if you make mistakes. I want to tell you today that God will always keep looking for you. God had every right to, to disown them and to go away from them and never come to Adam and Eve again. But he cared for them and he came back and he said, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? He came to them in the cool of the evening and he said to them, where are you? And they said, we have hid ourselves. What have you done? They said, we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and now we're naked. And then there's a sequence of things that happened. And, and because Adam and Eve lost the glory, they were naked. And the next thing that happens is God takes Adam and Eve and he sets them outside of the garden. And the Bible tells us that God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden the Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned away, turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I want to preach to you today a way back to the garden. A way back to the garden. After the glory dissipated from God and he set them out across the garden, he put them across the rivers. He put an angel on the eastern gate to guard the gate. And ever since that day, we have been trying to find our way back to the garden and into glory. Abraham was looking for a city. The disciples even said, how can we know except you show us the way? So what is it, the way back to the garden? Job was looking for it. Jeremiah the prophet was looking for it. How do we get back to the garden? Well, if you'll allow me today a few moments, I want to tell you how to get back to the garden. You see, Adam and Eve had lost the glory. They crossed the river. The sacrifice now had to be made. It's all a matter of getting perspective of where you are looking at things from. And I want to explain it to you like this. There was a prophet named Daniel. And when Daniel looked down through the telescope of time when he was in prayer, Daniel saw a lion. He saw a bear. He saw a leopard and a terrible beast. Centuries later, there is a man by the name of John, and he's looking in another direction, and he's looking the other way, and he sees a beast, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. You see, it all depends on where you are standing with what sequence and what kind of order that you follow. What Daniel saw and what John saw were the same thing, but in a different order. So if just if, if losing the glory and crossing the river and having a sacrifice is the way out of the garden, 
then the way back into the garden is that you must sacrifice. You must have a sacrifice. You have to have water and you've got to have the glory. God wanted to make a point. So the first thing that God did when things got out of hand, the Bible says that God repented. Now, if you have ever been struggling in your life and you've made a mistake or you've made a choice and you feel like, I don't have to repent, it wasn't that bad. Even God repented. God repented. When sin took over the world, he repented. And Peter one day referred to this and he said it was the act of baptism that doth now say us. So God repented and then you know what he did? He put a man named Noah in charge of building an ark. And he flooded the whole world. He washed the world with water. And then after he washed it, he took them to a tower called Babel and he gave them a new language. So they called them our forefathers. They called them the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who did they serve? They served God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Abraham comes along. He slays a sacrifice. Isaac dug a well to get to the water. Jacob met him in Bethel and he found the glory of God. And so now when you come out of the land of Egypt, they slay a lamb. They cross through the Red Sea and a glory cloud led them down the other side so they could make it to the promised land. You see, everywhere that you look, there is a sacrifice that is your repentance. There is water that is your baptism and there is your glory. That is the Holy Spirit. When God spoke to Moses, he said, Moses, I want to show you something. Come up on this mountain. He said, Moses, it's time to build a place of worship, and this is no accident. He said, Moses, this thing's been going on a long time. And, and so when God got up to the mountain with Moses, when they got there together, God showed him a lamb that had been slain from the foundation of the world. He showed him the crystal sea, and he showed him the throne of God. And when Moses came back down the mountain, he put a brazen altar that was to be the sacrifice, a laver of water, and a holy place in the temple. Now this is all Old Testament. We'll get to the new in a few moments. And so now it was time for the Redeemer to come. But then John the Baptist came later on, centuries later, and he was standing out inside of the water, ready to baptize. He used the water as his pulpit. And when he would make a point, he would splash the water. God said, every one of you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he splashed the water. Every one of you need to be baptized. Splash the water. Every one of you need to turn from your sins. Splash the water. What a sight that would have seemed to see John the Baptist preach the gospel. Now I thought about today getting up in the tank to prove a point to you that we can preach from the water. But I don't think it would do the same as John the Baptist. One day over the horizon while John was in the water preaching, he saw a man coming, a silhouette with his gown pushed against him and his raiment pushed against him in the wind. And as the silhouette began to make its way down the hill of the mountain into the lake, John abruptly stopped preaching and he said, ladies and gentlemen, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So Jesus now comes down to the bank in an orderly fashion. Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who was to be perfect in all of his ways because he is the Son of God. Even Jesus knew he had to be baptized in order to fulfill God's plan. 
So in order to fulfill righteousness, they had a little bit of a discussion. Jesus and John. They even had a little bit of an argument. (gasps) Jesus and John had an argument? Yes, they did. You don't think near as much of it as Jesus did. People tell me about water baptism. And they say, well, I don't think it's that necessary. But I'll tell you, if Jesus did it, we need to do it. You see, it's the first thing that he did and it's the last thing he said before he left. So John baptized Jesus, but it doesn't end there. When Jesus came out of the water, the heavens departed. And the voice of the glory said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And at that time, the spirit of God descended down on to Jesus. And at that point, Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost without measure. This is the only way that it has ever been to receive your ticket to heaven. Repentance, water baptism, and filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the only way that we will get back to the garden. One of the reasons that people have a hard time getting their head around the fact that it's all in Him is that they don't understand that even though Jesus was the Son of God and in the perfect body, the body still had to qualify itself to be the eternal resident of the Almighty God and Jesus. And until Jesus was baptized, the Bible only ever called him Jesus. But from the time that he was baptized and the infilling of the Spirit when it descended upon him, when he came out of the water, all through the rest of history, he is known as Jesus the Christ. He is never referred to as Lord except by Luke, who is a post-resurrection and a post Pentecost convert he's never referred to as Lord until he is raised from the dead and his body transformed and now qualified doubting Thomas to make the first announcement when Thomas said hey I I don't know if this Jesus is real but Jesus came to him after he had died and Thomas says my Lord and my God and then Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he said this Jesus whom you crucified God raised him from the dead and made him both Lord and Christ. And in all the scriptures that speak the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus Christ, boldly were written after the resurrection. You see, Moses had to put a sacrifice on the altar. He had to sacrifice an animal. And then there was a laver of water to be baptized. And then you expected the glory of God to fall. But when Jesus died on the cross for us, he said, you don't have to bring an animal sacrifice anymore. You just bring yourself and you give up your past. You don't have to be killed for what you have done in your past because I've just done it for you. All you have to do is come and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And then you give up into this water and you get baptized. You wash away those sins. You lift your hands and you allow God to fill you with his spirit. And so now the body had qualified itself. And the Bible says that Jesus grew in favor and in stature with all men because that body was getting ready to be the eternal house of God the Father. And today when people go and look for a God or they look for Jesus, the only place that you're going to find him is in that body. It was his design from before the foundations of the world. So when you get down to the grit and the grind of the real thing, when the Bible says, in whom God the Father first trusted, all eternity stood still when Jesus was led to Calvary. You see, Jesus had enough power in his body, had enough power 
and enough favor and anointing that he could have stopped the entire process and called 10,000 angels to save him. But he didn't. Because he knew that this would have to be the fulfillment for salvation. God the Father trusted in that body, the Son of God. The body had to go through Calvary in order for the transition to take place in the grave. He was sown in weakness, but he was raised in power to prove that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He was raised, a celestial body. He was sown terrestrial and he was raised celestial. He was raised incorruptible. He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again. This is the plan of salvation. You crucify the flesh. You repent of your sins. You lay down all of the worldly things that hold you back from having a relationship with God. You are buried into the water. And when you rise again, you rise in the glory of our Father. The whole teaching of the New Testament is you must believe and become a part of his death, his burial and resurrection. And that's why Peter gave us in Acts 2.38, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter was the first to announce the travel plans of how to get back to the garden. Peter was the first GPS. Some of you have GPS on your phone. And there's one app that you can use called Waze. I don't use it very often, but in Waze you can pick different voices of celebrities or characters of cartoons to be your, your guide. And, and one could be Cookie Monster telling you how to get to... What's really fun is when Cookie Monster is telling you directions to get to Crumble Cookies. That's a lot of fun. But you can imagine Peter and whatever Peter's voice was in his accent, in his dialogue. He gave the first direction on how to get back to the garden. He announced it and the Holy Ghost fell. And it happened to the Samaritans who had the Jewish backgrounds. It happened in the book of Ephesians in the 19th chapter with the disciples who were at Ephesus. The same thing happened with the Apostle Paul. Paul repented, Ananias baptized him, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And when he started speaking in tongues, Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. You see, it's the direction that you travel. When the tabernacle was built, the temple was built, they were both built on the same geographical plan. The gate was always set to the east. The Holy of Holies was set to the west. And it makes the song so precious. If you've ever heard the song, some of you that have been in, in church long enough, you remember the old song. I will meet you in the morning just inside the eastern gate. That's why that's in that song. Why is it the eastern gate? Because that's where the sun rises. No, that's how the temple was built. When a person came to the tabernacle, they came through the eastern gate. They came to the brazen altar, to the laver of water, and then to the holy of holies. But then there's a guy that was named Cornelius that came and he said, hey, I don't want to do it that way. You know, he was a typical man. He didn't need directions. He said, honey, you can turn off your GPS. I know how to get there. I've been there once. My buddy told me how to get there. 
He said, I don't do it that way. There's two reasons he didn't do it that way. Number one, Cornelius didn't read like the Hebrews read. A Hebrew reads from right to left. But Cornelius was from Rome. He read left to right. And if you have a Thompson Chain reference Bible, or if you were to get one, you could see uh, how the map of the temple area in Jerusalem was. And you would see that the south side of the temple was the court of the Gentiles. And many times Cornelius would be at the temple because the Bible says he was a righteous man, a devout man. But when he comes to the temple, he would come on the south side of the temple, not on the eastern side. He would come to the south side and look north and he would read left to right and not right to left. So he didn't do things the same way. The second reason was he saw the holy place. Before he saw baptism and before he ever saw repentance, the incredible thing about it is the way that God favored him and gave him favor, God filled him with the Holy Ghost first. You see, there was an order, okay, we're going back to the beginning. You remember how Daniel saw down the line, he saw a lion, a bear, and then John saw the same thing, but in a different order. The plan of salvation doesn't necessarily have to be repent, baptized, Holy Ghost. You could receive the Holy Ghost right now before you're ever baptized. You could be baptized before you ever repent. You could be, and I know I'm messing with some of your all theology, but this is Bible. We can't get stuck in tradition and lose revelation. So he says, I, 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 I'm doing it a little bit differently, but God blessed him. The apostle to the Gentiles said, this is the way we are going to have to do it. You see, a lot of you got the Holy Ghost before you were baptized. Or a lot of you were baptized, then got the Holy Ghost. But you're going to have to sacrifice and die daily. That's something you have to do. You have to repent every day. Some of you two or three times a day. Just so you don't feel alone, I'm in that category. I must die daily. Myself, my flesh must die. And we become in a daily walk with God before God to stay repented. Since all the Gentiles had gotten the Holy Ghost, it makes sense that they have the Holy Ghost. They move to the laver of water, be baptized in Jesus' name. And they have a great revival. You see, I believe that God is pouring his spirit out. I believe it. We don't always see it, how it's being poured out, but I believe that God is pouring his spirit out. It's easy to get depressed and it's easy to get frustrated when we don't see people every day getting baptized in the tank. When we don't see people turning their life around and, and, and making a decision to follow Christ every day, but I believe that God is working in their hearts. Because we can't see it, we doubt it. And we have to stop doubting it. I think sometimes we take for granted as well the gospel that's been delivered to us. If you were to take a trip to Rome and visit the remains of the great Colosseum, a guide will tell you that over 700,000 Christians met their death in that Colosseum. And to think that someone would come along and tell us that this gospel doesn't matter baffles me. To think that somebody would come in and say, you know, I, I, living for God is not really all it's cracked up to be. I, I'm doing fine by myself. My works will get me into heaven. Brother, let me tell you, that's a dangerous road to take. 
Because your works will not get you into heaven. Only what you do for Christ will matter. The gospel is truth. And there has been too great of a price that has been paid to bring the gospel from Jesus. From 700,000 people being killed for what they believe in Jesus Christ. All the way down to me. When you think about all the men and women who have died for the word of God. To make sure that that word gets from the cross to you. A price too great has been paid for us to neglect it. There is too great a price paid of people working their way back to the garden. For us to trip and to get lost. And then refuse to find our way back. Pastor Paul Mooney, who was a former pastor of Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis and the president of Indiana Bible College, tells a story about a time that he went to Turkey to talk to a minister of tourism about, in, about arranging trips for their Bible schools and for the United Pentecostal Church. They were going to travel to Istanbul, or in, in the Bible days it was Constantinople, it was to see the sites of the seven churches of the Asia Minor. So while Brother Mooney was there and the Minister of Tourism, they were meeting. He got called away in order and for order of other business. The Minister of Tourism had his daughter then take Pastor Mooney, who this woman was a doctorate of religious studies, graduated from Oxford University. She said, I'm going to be taking you on your tour today, Pastor Mooney. And so they went to the place in Constantinople or Istanbul now. And she said, Pastor Mooney, about 60 kilometers from here is the place called Nicaea. And in 325 AD, they made a decision at the Council of Nicaea because they could not understand Jesus Christ and his fullness. They created what we know today as the Trinity. They created the words, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And in 325 A.D., Constantine, the emperor at the time, made a declaration that every Christian would have to be baptized or rebaptized with the words Father, Son, and Holy Ghost spoken over them. He ordered that all couriers be sent through all the church kingdom. And when they got to Constantinople, they made an announcement that they can no longer baptize in the name of Jesus. And the lady asked Pastor Mooney, she said, Pastor Mooney, do you even happen to know any people who still baptize in Jesus' name? And he responded, yes, ma'am, I am one of them. And then she went on to say that when they got to Constantinople, the church refused to be rebaptized with the words Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because they were converted to Jesus Christ by the doctrine of the Apostle Paul and the church fathers. So the couriers went back to Nicaea and Constantine sent them back to Constantinople and they lined all the Christians in Constantinople and they gave them a choice to be rebaptized in the titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or have their heads severed from their bodies for the Lord. And the doctor said to Pastor Mooney, she said, where you are standing right now, blood flowed ankle deep because people would not give up on the name of Jesus Christ. Today, I feel that there is an importance of pointing you on the road back to the garden. 
There is a man who died on a cross for you. Gave his life for you. To help find your way back to the garden. The road is expensive. It's going to cost people their lives. It has costed people their lives. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you. I have prepared a place for you. It's beautiful beyond measure. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, you heard me describe what heaven is like. Heaven is beautiful. The Bible tells us so. The Bible describes what heaven is. Jesus is saying, I want you to come and experience the glory with me. We are blessed today to live in a great country that we're not having to give up our lives for the gospel. We are free to live and free to worship however we want to live and worship. But Jesus is calling us into glory. And if you're here today or you're watching me today on live stream and you've walked away from this truth and you've got off on the path, this is the road back to the garden. I want to tell you today, I don't believe it's, it's an accident that you're here. I know it's Easter Sunday and many of you, you plan just to be in church on Easter Sunday. But if you really didn't want to be here, I know you wouldn't be here. God has called you here today to repent. God has called you here today to be baptized. And I don't want to be the person to sell you short. I don't want anybody to sell you, your children, your family, your relatives or our church short or sell a bill of goods and says that it doesn't matter because ladies and gentlemen, it matters. I am telling you there is a way back to glory. There is a way back to the garden. Repentance, water baptism, and the glory of the Lord. Now, I know some of you are thinking today, Pastor, this is, this is deep, this is... This is too deep for an Easter message today, Pastor. This is too deep for a Resurrection Sunday message, Pastor. This is what God has given me today to tell you. God died on the cross for you, but I am so thankful and I am so glad that when the women went to go anoint the tomb, when they got there, they found the stone rolled away. And they went into that tomb and they found his clothes not thrown on the bed, they were folded on the bed. And did you know that when you go to a fancy restaurant, when you go to a nice hotel, there is a little thing that waiters and maids start to understand. When you take off your napkin and you just throw it on the table, you are telling your waiter or waitress, you are finished and you are not coming back. But when you take that napkin and you begin to fold it and you place it on the table, you're saying, hey, lay your mitts off my food. I'll be right back. When you leave your hotel room and you leave that bed a mess and those covers are everywhere, you're telling your mate, hey, I ain't coming back. Listen, God did not leave his clothes lying on the floor. Mary done taught him good. Even though he was born in a barn, she taught the boy how to pick up his clothes and fold. The clothes were folded. He is coming back again for you and for me. 
And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, is it for me? It's for you. It's for all those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I am thankful today that we have a testimony that God says, hey, you don't have to die in your sin, but you can live with me one day. God said, I can, I can give you everything that you need if you will just come unto me today. If you're willing to do that and say, hey, I want to make a change in my life, Pastor. I have some things I need to repent for. I'm going to open this altar. I want you to stand with me today. And if you're not comfortable coming to this altar, you can pray where you're at. But I open this altar to you today. And I invite you to make a decision to say, hey, I'm not turning back from here. God, I'm repenting of my sins today. I'm getting my way back to the garden. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.